It's the Stinking Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Hey, welcome into the Stinking Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans, Scott the Hub, producing the show. And uh, I'd like to thank our uh, presenting sponsor, great folks over at Superbook. Uh, check them out, Superbook, uh, America's Best Bet. Also, uh, Monarch Meds. Go to Monarch Meds. Type in the code STINK. Look at the relief cream and the relief spray. Um, really good, really good stuff. So you can check it out. You get a 20% discount if you type in the promo code STINK and uh, free shipping as well. So check that out. Mike, how are you, buddy? I, I'm good. Hold on a second. Let me just check. Nope. Patriots have not signed anybody as of the last five minutes. Is that incredible? <laughs> what I mean... Yeah, I, I want your. You're always the guy that I like to get your opinion on things, and then I like to steal it because you are my intellectual property. Um, but this feels to me like, like in in past years, the New England Patriots just kind of sit back and giggle at everybody who jumps into the free agent fray because normally, what are you getting in free agency? I think this is a little bit different this year than it has been in past years, but normally you're paying premium dollars for average players, and the Patriots just haven't really jumped into that kind of fray. And I don't know where this is. Is this dis- is it desperation because Tom Brady basically gave you the middle finger and walked over to Tampa and said, "I need more weapons," and then wins the Super Bowl? Is it, like what is this? Why is why are the New England Patriots, why do they set the market, so to speak? See, I think there's two levels to this. First of all, I think you have to go back to last season. Belichick was doing an interview with the with WEI, the station that he does a mm-hmm. weekly appearance with. And he got a little he got he kind of bristled and got defensive about the idea of, of where they were at. And he said, Look, you know, for years we had to spend now to win now, and we never had a lot of cap space, and we sort of put it off, and then the, the bills came due and all of that. And there was all this opportunity now with all this cap space for him to go out and say, see, see what I can do when I actually have the wherewithal to go out and and spend? I'll spend, and here's proof of it. That's the first part. Second part, though, make no mistake. Come on. He's got ego. He's competitive. You don't think it was embarrassing for him to watch Tom Brady go and do what he did after Belichick all but said, you're not worth the two-year deal? We're moving on, and Brady does what he does. I enough to the point where it has people now questioning. You know what, what was Belichick's role in all those Super Bowls? Was it all Brady? So you know he's just like, all right, screw you. I'm back, baby, and I'm back with a vengeance. Yeah, I. You know, I. I there's. It's interesting because I. I think there is a lot of that. The ego, the fact that you. Had all that cap space from last year, so you went out and spent it on and and you know some of the guys like like Judon that they got the outside linebacker that guy's a really good football player. Um, Johnu Smith, really good football player. I think Hunter Henry, really good football player. The tight the double tight end formations that they made famous years and years ago. So um, I, I like all that stuff. Now does the onus land squarely on Cam Newton? Like everybody has been. Everybody, it's almost as though they've had this desire for Cam to regain his MVP status. And he really just hasn't been very good. I would say this about Cam Newton and the MVP. It's the most valuable player. He's never been the most, he's never been the most valuable quarterback, not even in his own division. 
I mean, that would go to – if you're talking about the most valuable QB, it, that would have gone to Drew Brees every year in that division. Or Matt Ryan, you know, the year he won the MVP. It, Cam Newton was really about Cam Newton's athleticism. And Cam Newton – make no bones about it. Cam Newton was tremendous in that 2015 season where they went 15-1. and one. He had a bunch of touchdown passes, a bunch of touchdown rushes. But since he's lost a little bit of that physical nature of his game, he really hasn't transitioned well. And I've always said this. I think it's really, I think it's exceptionally hard to be um, a great athlete that morphs into a quarterback. Because I think when you're a great athlete who happens to be a quarterback, what ends up happening to you is your default mechanism at an early age becomes athleticism. Athleticism. And so when things break down as they as they tend to do, 20, 30% of the, the, the plays break down, you rely on not the neck up aspect of your game. You rely on the neck down aspect of your game. You rely on that physicality. You rely on that gift. And anybody who's played this game for any length of time understands how quickly that gift diminishes. Like your knowledge increases. You actually get smarter as a football player the more you play, the more situations you see. You continuously, you know, you continuously ramp that aspect of your game up. At some point, your physical stature diminishes to the point where you're no longer worth paying. And so, Cam Newton, this is a crossroads year for me. Because, or, or for Cam, I think, because think about this. Now, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're planning on moving up and drafting one of these top five quarterbacks and, you know, moving up to number nine with the Broncos or moving up beyond that and, and grabbing one of these quarterbacks. But for Cam Newton, you know, last year it was he was playing really well before he got COVID. Um, Cam Newton was, you know, the, the, Cam Newton is just needs to be healthy. Um, in 2018, the first six, seven games of the season under Norv Turner, Cam Newton was, you know, one of the highest rated quarterbacks. Like there, there is all the, that, that narrative is out there and I understand it. And Cam Newton was in 2018 playing really well. And then he had the bad shoulder injury. And then the following year wasn't playing well and he had the toe injury and, you know, on and on it goes. And, and then last year after COVID, he really played horseshit football yeah flat out what did you right. see from him well I, I see the same thing i've seen uh, i i see the same thing that i've seen throughout his career in the he throws the unbelievable deep ball in the short to intermediate range throws that a quarterback has to make his living on he's woefully inconsistent so like when he is when he is at his best it is using that unbelievable gift of his athleticism, his size, and all those things that he does exceptionally well. And then you, you know, you develop the RPO game off of that, and the um, you know with the run pass option stuff, and you develop some play action stuff off of that where you get him on the edge, and he's got the opportunity to run it or throw it. Like he's incredibly hard to defend. But when you get into a situation where you've got to say, "Hey, Cam, you got to win this one from the pocket." Other than that stretch for eight or nine games where he did have Christian McCaffrey and he was dumping off the ball quite a bit, like he's never been – that has never been his game. It's kind of the same thing I talk about. You know, it just – like to me, to win in this league consistently, and I talk about this all the time, is like it is nice to have a quarterback that can do all those things athletically, 
But ultimately, this game has always been won on a consistent basis from the guy who can operate from the pocket. Well, because that's where all your protection is. Here, I, I would say this: Russell Wilson to me is a quarterback that happens to be athletically right, gifted, right? As opposed to a, an incredibly gifted athlete that happened to transition to quarterback. Well, and are we seeing the, some signs though that maybe they're setting up their personnel to take advantage of his? Strengths may be limited, but he has some strengths. You talked about the the deep ball. Mm. Nelson Aguilar, they bring him in. Yeah. And he did a, a fantastic job of just being a go-fly a go fly guy for the Raiders last year. You get two tight ends that can win matchups, mm-hmm. create space, carve open some open space. Right. Throw this Create th- easy throws. Right. Easy you th- know they like to throw to their backs. Right. So are they setting up? You always talk about how... Every game you want to go in, you want to make sure your quarterback has 12 to 13 easy completions. Yeah. Are they doing that? Yeah. Can you see a, a situation where you got two tight ends? You know, you're running four verticals. You got two tight ends running the seams, you know, where, um, yeah, you can you can see those opportunities. I still think Cam is best served when he, when he has, you know, eight to ten designed kind of runs and all the play action stuff that comes off of those things. I think that's when he's at his best. And I think as you age, it's harder and harder to stay healthy and stay consistent in those situations. So, yeah, are they setting him up for some success? Yeah, are they? did they recognize the lack of weapons? You know, the Nelson Aguilar thing was interesting to me because when the Raiders signed Nelson um, – I talked to Derek Carr about this. He goes, he was initially, because in Philadelphia, he played in the slot a bunch. And when we got him, he just was, he's a guy that can run that never gets tired. And it really wasn't his skill set. When we moved him to the outside, he just exploded. Like he became a legit player. So talk about a team that kind of played him out of position in Philadelphia, where he got to the Raiders and really found kind of what he was good at. And um and now you know he's he's gonna lift the top coverage on the outside for the the for the Patriots. I like I love the moves they've made. I think the moves they've made make a lot of sense. But again, you show me the team that has one free agency and you know one free agency and and everybody talks about all the free agent moves they've made and all the money they've spent that has come in and and really played well or really you know chase the Super Bowl championship. Right. I, I just don't think it's happened. Right. Right. Well, you mentioned Russell Wilson. And uh, boy, did the Seattle Seahawks make their intentions clear where, according to the reports, the Chicago Bears came hard after Wilson. Three ones, couple starters, a third rounder, and Seattle said, nope, we're not dealing him. Do you think that that was a case of Sorry, Chicago, your offer's good, but not good enough. Try again. Or, hey, we never had any intention of trading Russell. I think that I think that ultimately, because I think if 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 you really had an intention of trading Russell, you go back to Chicago and say, Hey, that's great, but let's try to sweeten the pot. Let's make that third rounder a second rounder. Let's, you know, whatever it is. I just think that that was the Seattle Seahawks going. Uh, thank you, but no thank you. We'll work it out with our quarterback. Like, we'll figure out a way to make this thing right, and we're not giving up Russell Wilson. He just is too valuable to the organization. He, like, from a ticket sales standpoint, from a, you know, he just, Russ, Russ is Russ. He's a MVP candidate every single year, although he hasn't won an MVP or gotten votes for MVP. 
He's a guy that gives you a chance every single week. I think there comes a time when you got to sit down with a guy like that and say, okay, what's really like, what's you know, what, what was the movie title? What's eating Gilbert Grape? Like, what's what's eating you, man? Let's figure this thing out. And I, I think the other thing is, I think one of the things that that is really important, um, both for players and for coaches and for just organizations in general, is to establish an identity, and for everybody to understand everybody else's problems. And I just think that that coaches in this league don't do a very good job, or a lot of coaches in this league don't do a very good job of of having your football team understand everybody else's issues. Because I think when you start to really truly understand the issues that the other guys face, you understand a little bit better about how difficult their jobs are, right? And... When that's the case, I think you have a better understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. I had a player that played for the 49ers talk to me about Kyle Shanahan and said, you know, the thing about Kyle, and I played for his father, Mike, and it was the same way with Mike. Mike will tell you what we're doing, why we're doing it, why you need to buy in, and ultimately how it's going to help us win, and it's going to help you as a player. And so then you kind of see the whole picture. It's right. not just about, hey, what do I have to do? It's about what do we have to do to be successful? And then all of a sudden when you see as an offensive lineman a wide receiver sacrificing, maybe sacrificing in the running game or sacrificing um, running a route to open up somebody else and, and what that receiver is being asked to do, you have a little bit better respect for what that guy you know, what that guy has to do, what his job is. And, the, and vice versa, if, if you're a receiver and all of a sudden you're shown, hey, man, this is really tough. Look at what, what we're asking these guys to do. And you have a better team concept of, of all those things. So for Russell Wilson, like, you're complaining about getting hit. You understand, like, the whole mantra last year, and it's been there for a while with, with the Seattle Seahawks, was less, let Russ cook. You know, in my very first game, I had Seattle at Atlanta, and I was like, "How about just let him simmer? Like, you can get a great, you can get a great meal out of a crock pot, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's awesome. You throw all the fixings in there, you let it simmer all day long. And it's a tender, you know, there you got a tender meat, and it's and it's delicious, and you still get a great meal. But you eliminate some of the you eliminate some of the the pressure you put your guy under. So the whole let Russ Cook aspect is, hey, we're better off if we run the ball, we set up play action, and also understand that you holding the ball and you not dumping it to the first read in your progression, and you, yeah, you create a lot of big plays doing that, but you also put yourself in harm's way. And a certain amount of these sacks are on you. And so a certain amount of these hits are on you. And I'd, like if I'm a coach, I'd sit down with them and put a, a tape together. And just say, okay, let's watch this tape. You know, as a coaching staff, we put that on you. We put that on, you know. So here's here's the 44 sacks that we gave up this year. And here are the 14 that we, we credited you with. You know, or the 15 or whatever it is. So now all of a sudden, we're 30. So if we're eliminating 15 a year off of your 45 total. Let's say you average 45 sacks a year which is kind of where they've been, right? Let's say we take 15 off of there, and now all of a sudden we're down to 30 sacks. Where does that put us? Well, it puts us in the middle of the pack, right? 
And yeah, we have to get better up front. But let's say, you know, I, I mean, I think there's I think there's an aspect to the game when you start to understand what everybody else's issues are, you just have a lot more respect for it. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that Russ doesn't have great respect for his the players that play on his team and that he doesn't have re- great respect respect for the game. I he does. He's a student of the game, there's no question. But I think sometimes it's really important to sit down and just kind of go, hey, here's where we're at. Let's work together to figure out kind of how we go forward with this. Besides the Patriots spend spending spree, a couple other observations from the first week of free agency? Well, I, I mean, I think I think one that you see the value of pass rushers. I mean, pass rushers just came off the board. Something like eight or nine averaging contracts that average 15 million per year. Right. So I think that's a bit I think that's a big part of it. Um that you know the premium positions and and understanding what premium positions are um and how everybody needs like to me everybody needs corners and pass rush. Like the 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 symbiotic relationship between coverage and rush. And that was on display early in free agency with corners going. You know, Ronald Darby signs in Denver. You got uh, uh, Patrick Peterson signing in Minnesota. You got some. You got some corners that signed. I, I tell you, the other thing that really intrigued me and made me kind of happy deep down inside is it was a robust market for wide receivers, and wide receivers are second tier players. Like the, we've created the diva wide receiver. We can't win without me. Like my, I'm, I'm so I'm the most productive. I'm the guy. You know, I'm the. And what you saw in free agency was like, yeah, we'll put that on the back burner because unless our football team is good, it takes ten guys really doing their job for you to even sniff a ball. I think the the value of the wide receiver position, I, I don't want to call it diminished, but I think it's I think it's reestablishing. Do you know what I mean? So I just that that made me kind of giggle about the overvalued nature that we have put on the wide receiver position. Now, what was clear this week, I think, was the message sent that that teams are viewing the value of the veteran backup quarterback slash mentor with the signings of. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick to Washington, Andy Dalton to Chicago, Jacoby Brissett to Miami. Um, I know I'm leaving some. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving somebody else out here. Um, Tyrod Taylor to Houston. Mm-hmm. What's the message there? Well, I think I think a couple of things. Like Mike Glennon to New York. Right. I've always felt that there's huge value and upside in a veteran guy. Even a veteran guy who's failed, to have that veteran set of eyes in a room that has heard, you know, mul- that that has heard it, has played it, has seen it multiple times, and that can convey that message to a young player. Because, I mean, I think just our situation here in Denver, where Denver has never, under John Elway, <laughs> as a former general manager, never valued the backup quarterback position. Not to the point where I value it. Not to the point where I'd say, I'll pay a guy $8 bucks to come in here and mentor my young players at that position. Um, and I'm not 100%, 100% sure why he's never truly valued that in my estimation. Um, 
But I think what you're seeing is the value of having somebody that is a steadying, you know, has a steadying viewpoint, is a steadying person within that that quarterback room, and that can convey what a coach is telling you. Because there's a there's a lot of times, Mike, where coaches ask you to do things, where you're going, that doesn't make sense, or that doesn't really work, or you know, yada yada yada. Where a veteran player can come beside you and go, hey, listen, think about it this way. Right. This is really what the coach is saying. Right. Or here's what's always worked for me. Or here's here's the pitfall of this play, and why you should stay away from it, or why you should, you know, whatever it is. I just think that that is important. Players speak player. Yeah. Coaches yep. oftentimes speak coach. Yep. And there's a there's just a better chance of relaying that information. I just think that this market that to me was fairly robust that dried up instantly. That backup veteran quarterback yeah. that can become the starter if you need him to be the Andy Dalton's of the world, the like you said Ryan Fitzpatrick's of the world. Those guys have great value in my estimation. And if it if it means hey we got to spend ten million dollars on that guy, and he may you know he may start five or six games for us, but we really want the young player to excel. I think it's imperative to have those guys well, in your organization. You, you saw it the other day, literally in an hour span, one hour. Right. You had Andy Dalton, Jacoby Brissett, and Tyrod Taylor all get signed. So there, there was clearly a, an urgency, a run there. Uh, certainly a, a demand that that teams wanted to to fill. Deshaun Watson. Um, let let's I guess put aside for a fact the 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 the, the allegations and the lawsuits, and because right. obviously if those are to be proven true, then yes. that's a game changer. It goes without saying. But let's just for the moment just talk about the football player and the football story here. You have reports now out of Houston that the expectation is he will be traded. Not 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 if he'll be traded, but when he'll be traded. Do you view it now the same way? It's just a matter of when, not if. And when is when? Well, I've I've always thought he was going to get traded because I just I just thought that he was convicted enough to say I am not playing in Houston. So, you know, he had he had, or he's created his own leverage to get out of Houston. It's just the more the win. Like, if you wanted max value for Deshaun Watson, you probably should have made that trade, like, before free agency. For max value, absolute max, yes. Yeah, or uh, I guess before this draft. Because, let's be honest, if, all right, let's say the allegations go away. For the, the sake of argument, the allegations go away. There, There's nothing to them. They're gone. Andy Dalton isn't. Andy Dalton isn't going to break the deal to trade for Deshaun Watson, right? right, right? If right, Deshaun right. Watson becomes available in right. your Chicago, you're in on that. Sure. And if they're in on, hey, two starting players and, uh, you know, and three first-rounders and a third-rounder, you're like, all right, done. So I, I, don't think that, I don't think that precludes you from being involved in that Deshaun Watson deal. I think he'll be traded. I just don't know when. I don't know if it'll be this year. I don't know if it'll be next year. I don't know if it'll be like, hey, we're going to make you, you know, we're going to make you sit out and put your money where your mouth is. And you're going to lose a bunch of money before we actually move you. So, like, I think he'll, I, I've always thought he'd be traded. I just don't know when. 
I don't know if it'll be before this draft, before the start of the season, or before you know the next draft. So, but at some point he'll get he'll get moved. I, I heard this argument raised that Houston Nick Nick Casario can't move him before the draft because all that does is signal a message to all the other Texans players: Hey, if you want out, just do what Russ uh, do what Deshaun did and ask for a trade. But isn't he, he, even if a player isn't happy in Houston, he he understands there's a difference between me, right, and Deshaun Watson, right? I mean, yes. How much does that factor into Houston's thinking that well, if we do this, it'll just lead to a run on players wanting out, right? I don't, I don't think it really like. There's very few people that have the leverage that a quarterback that kind has. of juice, yeah. That, that have that kind of juice. So I just don't think that that opens up the floodgates to say, hey, I want out too. Um, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's really a, a huge concern, Mike. I don't. And and I, I will tell you this. The interesting thing now is how the leverage shifts back to the Houston Texans. How so? Well, I mean, you're Deshaun Watson and you've demanded a trade. And, and you have a no-trade clause. And you have a no-trade clause. And so... You demanded, I want out. Well, you don't just get to pick now where you want to go. Like, no, I don't really want to go to the Jets. I've got a no-trade clause. I won't accept that trade. I don't really want to go to Miami. You know, the report now is the rumors are Denver and San Fran are the two places that I'd like to play. Well, if those two places aren't close to being the value of what the Jets or the Miami Dolphins or are, the Panthers, right? Yeah. Or the Panthers yeah. Yeah. are offering. Then you say to Sean, "Well, here's your choice. You can either go to the Jets and play football, or you can sit your ass down on your couch and not." Like all of a sudden, to me, if you really want out, the leverage shifts to us. Like, hey, we're going to get our best deal, and if our best deal is from, you know, if our it, let's just say it's equal value between Carolina and the Jets. And San Francisco and, and Denver are down the totem pole a ways. And they're not saying, okay, well, whatever you want, Deshaun, we'll send you to San Fran or we'll send you to Denver. Even though we're getting one less first rounder. Absolutely not. So you want to play? swings over to him. Right. How much do you really want out? Right. How much do you want yeah. out? Yeah. So I think I think clearly now the leverage, if, if in fact the reports are true that it's a matter of, of, of if – or not if, but when he's he's going to get traded. Now the onus goes back to, or the or the leverage goes back to the Houston Texans because we're moving him. Now we're going to get our best deal, and even though you have a no trade clause, you know, pound sand. Don't, yeah, then some don't of the goodwill, play or, then or some of the goodwill that Deshaun Watson has will start to erode because people will say, "Whoa, what? Right? You want it out? You know, you're a man of your convictions. You want out? Mm-hmm. But now it's." I want out, but only in this case or that right. case. Well, no, you're right. At some point, the franchise has to do what's best for the franchise. If you were handicapping, let's just give those five teams. Okay, you're handicapping Jets, Miami, Carolina, Denver, or San Fran. And all the offers were identical, say. Mm-hmm. They were all, you know, the, 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 the Houston Texans said, all five of these are good for us. Deshaun, you just have your pick of these five teams. Where who does Deshaun Watson pick? San Francisco. Yeah. Work with a guy like Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. 
the with, with that offense, the run ability. You've got Debo Samuel. You've got Ayuk. Uh, you've got George Kittle. You've got a guy who likes to run the football. Yeah. Will help preserve your career. Right. Things like that. Yeah. yeah. You, oh, man, you got use check. I mean, you've got some. You've got some weapons now. That's all things being equal. Yeah, all things being equal. And and that's exactly that's exactly where I was going to. I was wondering if you'd be on yeah. the same wavelength as me. Do you think the Do you think in that situation, Watson is looking strictly at the best football fit, meaning talent around me, coaching staff, yes, personnel, or how much factors into where I'm going to play the city. You know, the, no, the, I think the, I think the it's, atmosphere, the nightlife, whatever. Yeah, you know, I think place it's, to raise a family. Right. Yeah. I think it's I think it really has to do more with the coach, the fit, the talent, where I have a chance to where I have a chance to not only go to the playoffs, but to win in the playoffs. And I think, again, if you really look at. At teams that win in the playoffs, it's teams that are are and I, I always say it, but it's complete teams. Even the most complete team, both offensively and defensively, and I'll give you the team that has the best chance or best shot at winning. And, you know, I mean, that that usually will pan out. There's always going to be an outlier here or there. There's always going to be that, that once-in-a-generation type of defense that leads you to a world championship, right? And it just drags the offense along, right? There are always going to be a few of those along the way. But for the most part, it's about being a complete football team. All right, last thing here, looking at this from, okay, the San Francisco angle. Uh-huh. Is is Kyle Shanahan looking at it and saying, hey, I went to a Super Bowl. I was 10 minutes away from winning a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't need to pay a king's ransom for Deshaun Watson. Or is it, I was 10 minutes away from winning a Super Bowl, and if I had a different quarterback, i win a Super Bowl. I think it's the latter of the two. Yeah. I think it is. Is I like Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo's a good player. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo gives us a chance to win. But Sean Watson, with what we do, puts us over the top. I think that's how they would – I think that's how they'd look at that. But I can tell you – I was talking to a coach the other day. I was like, there's one route, the first guy in your progression on a, a Buffalo concept late in the game was tight end on a through route. Um, the – the second receiver, the F receiver, running a um, a pick curl, and the third receiver running a, a quick now route. It's just a quick, like a slant, right? Like, and it, you you can just tell Jimmy Garoppolo predetermined he's throwing the now on the third down and five and gets stopped for a two yard gain or a three yard gain, and nobody covered the tight end on the through, and that's the number one read in your progression. He hits that; it's a fifteen yard gain, puts him down in the red zone for a scoring opportunity, and if George Kittle makes the safety miss, it's a touchdown. Nope. I mean, the line, both the linebacker and the nickel guy jumped the now. Like, they knew he was going to throw it. And if he, like, again, in that progression, the first read in the progression is the tight end. And it's, I mean, it it, it cannot, I could, you could complete it. It is so wide open. Ugh. That's the and, kind of stuff that'll keep a coach right up at night looking at the film of that. Yeah, and you look at it, you know, and and you know, people are Kyle Shanahan is you know a bad play caller in the clutch. You know, he didn't do like on all this stuff. And you go back, you go back through it because I dug through the whole thing, 
and you're just seeing your quarterback in crunch time just missing multiple opportunities to salt the game away. And it's not just missing the throws. It's just not reading what They're was there. Missing throws, being late, and not reading what was there. Ugh. And it and it was in, in crunch time in that game. Um so, you know, and, and obviously there's there's more to it than that. It's not just Jimmy, but you know, there was there's some real legitimate opportunities to salt that game away that you just didn't I mean, hey, come on, you you get burnt on a third down and fifteen on that wasp route where you're playing cover three and that ball should have been picked off. Ball should have been picked off ten out of ten times and your corner jumps the, the dig. He's like, I'm going to be a hero and jump the dig. Your linebacker on that side, Fred Warner, was had 20 yards of depth. If you throw that dig, it's getting picked off by the linebacker. But you don't do your job. You're going to be a hero of the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. You jump the dig that's already covered, and they get that that corner route behind you for a first down. And so it's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different things that go into losing a football game, right? But ultimately, when your players try to do more than what they're asked to do or don't do not do what they're asked to do first and, and they go to the third option, you're going to lose. And that's what happened. All right. Well, week one of free agency in the books. We'll see what uh, kind of bargains are out there right. in week now, two. Huh? This, is, this is where uh, the bargain shopping gets done. And, and ultimately, really good players yep. at, at reasonable value. Yep. Get signed. You can see a lot of good one-year deals signed. Right. Yeah, for sure. Hey, for everybody involved in the Stink Truth Podcast, for Mike, myself, for Scott, thank you so much for listening. Appreciate our uh, presenting sponsors, Superbook for America's Best Bet, also Monarch Meds. Check it out at monarchmeds.com. Uh, code word stink. Try the relief cream and spray. For everybody involved, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you.